You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time: The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome to... An ACC podcast, episode two. We have week one in the books. We already had week zero in the books. And obviously, I think the main takeaway is that the SEC is terrible and the ACC is not terrible, I guess, right? I'm going to bring on our first guest, though. Our, well, our only guest this week, but I'm really happy to have him on. He'll probably will make repeat appearances. Brant Wilkerson New from Heels Maven, who covers North Carolina. I really wanted to have him on because they have the biggest win in the ACC this week. North Carolina beating an SEC team for the first time since uh, the 2013 Classic against Tyler Bray in Tennessee in the Music City Bowl. Uh, but there were no projectiles thrown this time around by the South Carolina faithful at the end of this one. Um, although if they had, they probably would have been directed at Will Muschamp. That's a separate discussion, though. Uh, first of all, Brent, hey, thanks for coming on. How you doing? I am doing awesome. The ACC rules and the SEC drools. <laughs> No, I, I do think it's funny, um, and this was a topic I was going to get to a little bit, because, look, the SEC had a bad weekend, and we all have a little bit of schadenfreude at it, and part of that is because of the fact that, like, any time the SEC does anything remotely good, it becomes this thing of, like, okay, yeah, we should rank, like, most of the teams in the SEC, no other team plays a schedule quite like this, when in reality... They're pretty much their top two teams, maybe three if we're being generous, and everybody else, just like most leagues are. But yeah, um, the ACC appears to be Clemson and everybody else. But I mean, if you win a national title, you win a national title. So yeah, that's probably the extent of our SEC uh, schadenfreude this week, except for South Carolina schadenfreude. But from your perspective, Brant, this is... It's, it's not so much about South Carolina. We've seen these two teams play like really hilarious games against each other, UNC and South Carolina, and UNC could like not get over the hump against them. And this team of all teams is the one that does it. Like, how? <laughs> well, yeah, that's a great question. I was I was kind of in the camp that it was going to be a closer game than people were expecting. Um, I was telling everyone that there was going to be, uh, you know, I think every, everyone was basically asking me for gambling advice. So um, <laughs> I was telling them that Carolina was probably going to cover and it was going to be a reasonably entertaining game just because – I believe that Jay Bateman was going to get the defense to play at least competently. Um, and Carolina had their running backs to keep themselves in it. They weren't going to they weren't going to have to rely on the pass 98% of the time. So uh, that's a big deal. But really what, what I think it comes down to is that 
uh, Mac Brown and, and these coaches have created a kind of a culture of more confidence and uh, it's a little bit more fun where mistakes aren't like the end of the world on every single play. And uh, I, I think they were just kind of free to go out there and play football, whereas the past couple of years have been like analyzing every single thing and, uh, you know, just waiting for the other shoe to drop um, like that. That 98 yard drive in the third quarter is like the only good thing to happen to a Carolina football team late in the game in the past several years, I think. Yeah, and I think all of those things, you know, are all of those things are definitely true. Um, it's just it's weird. I, I look, I I don't mind admitting this. I um, was extremely skeptical of this hire. I didn't think it made a whole lot of sense um, to rehire Mac Brown at, at this point in his career and in his life. Um, but like you said, I think he's hired good coordinators. Jay Bateman knows what he's doing. And yes, the air raid does also involve running the football. So Phil Longo also knows what he's doing on the offensive side of things. Um, I, I guess I'm eating a little bit of crow here in terms of like just watching Carolina football for as much of my life as I have. And I know you've been exposed to them as well growing up in the state. Like you're not used to seeing them do good things in important situations. So um it, I was wrong, maybe, at least early on. I know it's a little early to say that, but it, it would certainly appear that maybe I was uh, wrong about this being a bad idea. Yeah, I, I remember waking up um, last November, that Sunday morning, when we kind of knew that Fedora was going to be fired. And um, it wasn't it wasn't very long before I think it was a national account uh, went into the whole, hey, Mac Brown's interested in coming back. And you're like, well, yeah, lots of people are interested in coming back and whatever. It does this make any sense. And your your first thought is kind of like, no, this doesn't make any sense. He's been out of the game for five years. And then you, you kind of start to think about it a little more and you're like, okay, well, you know, he's in his late 60s, but what does Carolina really need here? Is Carolina, they're not necessarily looking for a 20-year guy they're looking for a guy to establish the program and they could get a hall of famer to come in and and fix some things and naturally if you get a hall of fame coach he's going to attract some pretty darn good coordinators um and immediately we saw that he was going to be able to recruit at a different level than carolina had been recruiting especially uh, within the state of north carolina so that you know, everything seems to be working out. Like, I don't think there are any negatives to the hire. Like, you know, my original first reaction in those first few minutes of seeing that were like, this is just an incredibly stupid idea. Wow. Especially with Scott Satterfield available and all that kind of thing. So, um, no, it, it couldn't be going any better. They're going to end up with a top 20 recruiting class. Probably. Um, they clearly got some really good coordinators and, um, there's a, there's a different feeling about Carolina football than we've had, um, in a while because you know even during that 2015 season when carolina made a run to the acc championship game i don't think larry fedora ever really truly endeared himself to the fans in the way that mac brown has and will because there was just always kind of some doubts about the way that he called games and uh but you know he wasn't warm and fuzzy with the media or the fans so um yeah i, I think uh, this is maybe going to be the higher of the offseason actually that's that's mind blowing, but I don't necessarily think that you're wrong, and I can't even believe that I'm saying it if we're being honest. But yeah, it, it's just it's weird. You're right. Like I'm as cynical as it gets, and you see uh, Mac up there talking about you know Sally and I everything, and and he is just he is charming. Like he cried after the game, and it was clear that he you know had some emotion because he knows what these guys have been through. They're used to everything going wrong, and frankly 
that's what Carolina football has been, even at times under Mac in the first go round. Like, what can go wrong will, especially in big moments, and it just didn't. And it was kind of surreal to see that. But yeah, he's he's more like he's charming, and I am a I'm very cynical because like college football is a gross. <laughs> world of, of people that will do anything and everything to win and but it was cool it was cool to see that on on Saturday and uh you even had Mac Brown dancing in the locker room and people trying to name uh, that dance I think one of the best I saw was uh where are my readers like where, where are my reading classes to name that dance it was um it was uh it, it was every bit of his age certainly that that attempt to dance yes where are my readers is probably the best title I've heard for that um, <laughs> I I was trying to like figure out exactly what was going on because you know at, at various points it looked like he was trying to hit the Dougie um, uh, otherwise he was maybe doing like a Macarena remix that didn't make a whole lot of sense and his explanation for it was, of course, the most old man thing in the world. He's like, I was just trying to do the dance, you know, I've seen some of the kids do. Yeah. <laughs> Which is like, if it sounds exactly like something my dad would have said to me back in the day. Um, it, it wasn't good. Um, he knows it. He said that he got 600 text messages after the game, and every single one of them said, great win, bad dancing. So <laughs> I, think he, I think he learned his lesson. He said he will not be dancing again. Um, he said he'll shave his head if he has to, or cut his hair, and instead of and to avoid a dance. So I think that's a good move for Mac. Yeah, you got to know your strengths and weaknesses. I think I think Roy. Somebody cut up a video of like Roy Williams and him dancing juxtaposed. Like Roy has a little bit more of like the old man, the confident old man shuffle, like that you would see like with a bunch of old couples dancing. I feel like to beach music or like shag music that's that's like roy's vibe roy is very confident in his moves as as old manish as they are like yeah myrtle beach shag legend roy williams or or whatever it's like in the <laughs> shag hall of fame for for whatever he's doing there but yeah uh, that that is a dead-on assessment of uh you know they're they're homeboys so maybe mac should head over and and hang out with roy and uh work on you know because if if they do anything big this year as much as he promises he's never going to dance again i think he's going to have to right he totally is going to have to like that went viral. And I think that helps get eyeballs in the program. And it's pretty clear that that's the way, you know, that's the way he wants to take things. So we'll bounce around the rest of the ACC a little bit too. It, you touched on Scott Satterfield. That's a guy you used to cover when he was at Appalachian. He's now at Louisville. I was with you on that, by the way, I thought Carolina maybe should have looked that direction and didn't. Um, I, I, I don't know that I was surprised to see Louisville look better. I, I didn't, I thought that they would, but I still thought that maybe they'd struggle a little bit more with Notre Dame. I mean, they end up losing by double digits, obviously, but that was a game for way longer than I thought it would be. Were you surprised to see that? Um, I wasn't surprised that Sat came out and had a really good game plan because not only do I think he's a really good coach and a really good offensive mind, I think uh, Dwayne Ledford, who is, is their offensive coordinator and their offensive line coach there, um, is a really bright guy. I thought he was going to be a head coach this time around, maybe at Appalachian State, but ultimately decided to go with Sat to Louisville. So um, I wasn't surprised by any of that. I was surprised by maybe the fact that Louisville's players absolutely hated Bobby Petrino with the passion of a thousand sons because uh, that looked like an entirely different team that you know, actually wanted to be on the football field playing for Louisville. It's it's really yeah. It, it really is an indictment. On him, in my it's a, it's a total indictment, in my opinion, on him. Um, 
it, you know, it, it's kind of unbelievable that they looked so much more competent. And yeah, you, you see quotes and stuff from them where like they were talking about they couldn't visit him in the office. And like even now the guys are like, yeah, it's cool that the new staff is really nice to us, but we're just sort of waiting for them to not be nice. And I'm like, God, what did he do? He's the worst. But um, yeah, that so that wasn't a huge surprise in terms of the result of the, of the game or anything like that. And looking at everything else, Georgia Tech Clemson wasn't a huge surprise either. Obviously, Clemson taking care of business there. Uh, we got Utah State and Wake. That was a fun Friday night game. Wake Forest giving up a million yards and losing or and winning. That's probably going to be a pretty familiar formula for them the rest of the way, I would think. And Carolina goes there uh, in a couple weeks too. I mean, everybody's looking at Miami, but that's an interesting one to me as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it's going to be a, a pretty fun game, um, I think. Um, Carolina's offense—it's it, so new with the uh, the running game and um, just the way that they're. You know, it, it, it's it, it was supposed to be fast before, you know, because you know that whole uh, smart, fast, physical thing. Uh, but it turns out Carolina's the, the sure. seventy-six plays that they ran uh, on Saturday were were more than the average of last season or uh, most of all the past five seasons. Um, uh, since I think it was fourteen, that Carolina averaged more than seventy-six plays. So despite all the running. Uh, they, they were able to run their offense a little bit faster, so I think that's going to be completely offensive fireworks in that ball game. Yeah, that'll be that'll be bananas. Um, Duke Alabama, that's that ends as expected. Although tracking it as I know, I was sort of tracking it from uh, Charlotte when we were both covering you know the Carolina South Carolina game, and I'm like, wow, Duke's really <laughs> holding Alabama down in the first half here. And then that kind of the wheels fell off a little bit. I don't know that you can take much away from that um, if you're you know, into Duke football, the, you know, hundreds of you that are the hundreds of you that are bless your hearts. Cause I know that it's been a long and arduous journey, but yeah, like, I don't think you can take a whole lot away from this either way. Alabama is Alabama. You stuck with them early. This it's pretty much like the familiar coach cut formula in, in the way that these things play out. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I think there's nothing but encouragement um, that, that Duke can take from that on Saturday because they held uh, Alabama scoreless for an entire quarter, which uh, is something that no one else has done in the past season. I, I think they had one scoreless first quarter last year. So, um, you know, I think that there's no negative that came of that. Duke covered for those of you uh, that, that are interested in that sort of thing. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it was a good day, even though you lose by 30-some points. Um, it's as good as it's going to get against Alabama for a Duke football team, I think. Yeah, that's probably true. Um Elsewhere, Virginia, they flirted with Pittsburgh for a little bit. They flirted with uh, losing to them, but they decided to pull ahead and, and not do that. So they kind of remain the, I guess, dark horse coastal content. Well, they're not really a dark horse. They were picked to win the league, I guess, or picked to win the coastal. So you can't really say they're dark horse. But I think, I don't know. I, I like them. I, I like them a lot on paper. I just, I worry that the other shoe will drop off and, and, hopefully because they just they play close games that's kind of the way that they're designed to play so I worry for their sake that you know they're going to let somebody hang around and, and beat them that shouldn't beat them but you know other than that they did what they needed to do I yeah think. um they they had not won at Pitt so that that's a big deal to get the monkey off your back there and that's that's exactly right on on Virginia's they've kind of they're they're going to play that formula of they're going to have a really good defense they're probably going to be you know top 15 top 20 in the country defensively, but they're going to always, uh, they're going to walk the tightrope because the offense isn't quite proven. They don't have a, they, they lose their top receiver and rusher from last year. So there's a lot to figure out as, as good as Bryce Perkins is with, 
be, you know, being one of the more exciting country, uh, quarterbacks in the country, uh, he doesn't have a whole lot of weapons around him. So they're going to they're gonna play some close games, and it's going to be a tight rope walk. And, um, you know, that's exactly how it should be in the Coastal, right? <laughs> Of course, coastal chaos. And by the way, like there's some absurd streaks that we that we look at in the coastal, like the fact that Virginia was having trouble beating Pitt, and then you look transitively, and like Pitt under Pat Narduzzi could not beat North Carolina for whatever reason. Like that was like one of Carolina's only Power Five wins for the last few years. And then like Pitt could routinely beat Duke for for whatever reason. Like the coastal is dumb, but we love it. We love it because it's dumb. We love it, folks, don't we? We love it. <laughs> uh, Virginia Tech, Boston College. Yeah, that for me was a game that I was looking at from Virginia Tech's perspective. And I'm like, this is going to tell me a lot about who you are. And I don't know that the answer was a very good one. <laughs> no, um, you know, that wasn't world's most exciting game for a week one. But like that one was a, a hot seat playoff. And holy crap, uh, Justin <laughs> Fuente is in it now because, you know, after everything that happened, like, Last year was not good, and then having 14 players in the transfer portal, also not good. And then, you know, the story kind of comes out, like, okay, okay, they had some guys that maybe were actively trying to throw some games at the end of the year just so they could get out of there. And you're like, okay, this this is good. Uh, he, he's going to get a reprieve because he's got the program right now. He's got the bad eggs out of there, and, you know, everybody's playing for the right reasons, and then they go out and lay an egg like this. So might be a rough one in Blacksburg, uh, which is pretty shocking considering the way things started i thought that was a great fit for them and um and they, they're not recruiting very well right now either so n- not not good in black yeah that surprised me too like i i really like justin fuente and i just I, I don't know we're not seeing the offense click i think the way that we thought that it would and um uh, i thought that they had the schedule line up for them to like win the coastal relative actually relatively easy easily if they wanted to especially because i don't trust virginia to beat them but I don't know, man. Like, I don't know that I would trust them to beat almost anybody right now either. So uh, it's, uh, I don't know. I, I feel like the Coastal's back up in the air again. We know how this ends. We we know this ends with uh, Virginia Tech coming into the final week being five and six and beating, Virgin- beating Virginia to become bowl eligible and also to keep Virginia out of the uh, ACC championship game uh, just because that's what happens in that rivalry because it's fun. Yeah, like the way it played out last year and how stupidly that game ended, I, that honestly made me convinced that they're never going to beat them. Like it's just, it's, I mean, that's not true. Like I think we understand that that's probably not true, but at the same time, it feels like that. Like it feels like there's just this invisible force at work that's making sure they can't beat them. Eventually, it's like my roommate and I, when we were um, shortly out of college, we, we decided that over the course of time, we were going to start playing a best of 101 beer pong series. <laughs> And for whatever reason, I was losing games in inexplicable ways and ended up losing the series like 51 to like 13, even though I think of myself as a pretty good beer pong player. It eventually became just he had beaten me down so much that I was expecting a complete meltdown at the end of every game. So um, that that is my worst athletic achievement to date. And I, I completely understand the mind of a high level athlete because of that, I think. Oh, yeah, that's I mean, I think that's pretty much the same thing, right? Like when I won my uh, Knights of Columbus district championship in free throw shooting when I was, you know, uh, 12 years old, that was something it was pressure packed. And so I completely understand the, the, the pressure and the rigor, the mental stress that an elite athlete is under. I think we both can 
can completely relate. Yeah, absolutely. Right? I don't think sports writers get uh, <laughs> enough credit for the type of pressures that we face, like trying to get out of a stadium and make it home while the Taco Bell drive-through is still open. Uh, <laughs> that, that has been a tough one, um, especially that Taco Bell on Hillsborough Road between Chapel Hill and Durham. That one closes early, which is constantly... Really? Yeah, it, it really sucks. They close at like midnight, which... What? like. How do you even call yourself a Taco Bell? That's completely antithetical to the spirit of Taco Bell. Like, exactly. That's offensive. And I, I've been left at the altar several times trying to get out of the Smith Center and make it home. And uh, all, all I want is a quesarito, and I just get hung out to dry every time. <laughs> yeah, no one, no one knows the troubles we face. Like, no one can. They, y'all can't relate. Y'all have no idea what the grind what the grind is like, but, um, uh, ECU at NC state as well. We can hit, um, not much to talk about there. Really. Uh, state took care of business. ECU looked improved under Mike Houston. Uh, both of those things were expected and state's offense looked pretty good under Matthew McKay. And that's, yeah. And the defense looked great. Like not really much to see here, in my opinion. Yeah. Not much to see here. State state did what state. It's kind of weird to say that state yeah. did what state does now. Have we gotten to that point that, that state is, you know, is going to be expected to take care of uh, easy wins over ECU at home? Because, you know, that hasn't always been a layup for the Wolfpack. So um, sure. yeah, I think they got everything, everything that they needed. Um, they, they uh, we saw a little bit of Bam Knight and why folks are really excited about him. Unfortunately, State loses CJ Riley for the season, which is a big deal. Uh, um, yeah, that stinks. Um, but yeah, and then everybody else uh, got their beers at the stadium because I think that was that was the real storyline of this ball game. To be honest, was uh, how they were going to sell beer at Carter Finley and roughly the over under on like cases of Old Tuffy being at seven hundred and forty seven. Have you have you had Old Tuffy? Um, I have not had Old Tuffy. Um, I, I understand it's a lager, and one of my state fan friends said that it, the best thing about them is that they sell them in 12-packs because they don't taste like ass when you get to the end of them. That's accurate, yeah. And and I like them. Like I genuinely really like the beer, and I think it's really good. Um, I don't know if you saw the picture of the third quarter, like the crowd after the pass-outs. It did not help with that whole situation that Dave Doran's been on all offseason of like, hey, please be in here at the start of the third quarter. And and I don't know. I mean, I'm sure like the fans don't organize this type of thing, but it did feel like a little bit of a message back from the fans to him of like, hey, you know what? No, like we're going to be continuing to use this pass out privilege and you're going to have to deal with it. And I mean, the most common retort I hear from state fans, because I, I think it's a little unfair, like Dave Doran, I think mostly does take care of these games he's supposed to win now. Um, but they'll point to like a Wake Forest or something like that. Not, you know, c- forgetting the fact that Wake is good, but whatever. Uh State still should have won that game last year on Thursday night, but like, I, I understand why state fans use the pass outs. I also understand why Dave Doran is frustrated by the way the crowd looks at the start of the third quarter because the beer sa- sales in the stadium did not seem to help that much. Yeah, it's uh, it's funny because I really wanted to see Dave Doran shotgun a beer at the start of the third quarter. Yes, as he said that he would do if the crowd was uh, back in its seats, as they were not. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it was a hot day on Saturday. It was a really hot day. The game was out of hand, so. Um, not at half though. I, not really. I, I don't think it's going to, um, I don't think it's going to matter if it's a close game or not. It's Cause, not. <laughs> uh, pe- people just get, people come to the game, you know, pe- some people are interested in the game and a lot of people that come to college football games, college basketball games don't really give a shit. 
Whoops. I don't know if I can curse on your podcast, but I did. Uh, they don't really care. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure either, frankly. I'll have to ask. Uh, I'll have to ask my uh, my editor, and we'll see. I'm sure we can bleep it if need be. <laughs> well, uh, so they uh, everybody's there to have a good time. They're there to get drunk, uh, go to the tailgate, um, make some new friends, whatever. Nobody really. Not not everybody is there to watch the football game, and that's I think true. that's something that uh, Dave Doran and a, a lot of these coaches are going to have to understand because you know there's a lot of coaches that have a lot to say about the crowd and this that and the other. Buddy, you you got the money from the ticket sales, so be happy with that. How about that? Yeah, yeah. I've I've I I don't like going. I see both sides on almost any argument. I do kind of on this one, but I you know it is what it is. Like it's not going to change. You said it, and you're right. Um, so. That was State, Syracuse at Liberty. Syracuse is the only, the ACC's only other uh, ranked team. I, d- I ranked Virginia and I continued to rank them this week, actually, in my recent ballot that I just voted on before we started this podcast. I actually uh, moved Virginia slightly ahead of Syracuse. I was kind of underwhelmed by their game at Liberty. Um, they've got some kinks to work out, I think, which was not completely unexpected, but uh, that's not really the story of that game at all. <laughs> the story of that game was uh, first year Liberty head coach Hugh Freeze coaching the game from the press box, which overlooked the stadium. And uh, it, the, it's been memed several times of Dino Babers pointing up to uh, the hospital window and, and uh, Hugh Freeze waving, like just the complete and utter absurdity of that whole situation um, was really like the best thing that one of the best things to come out of week one, in my opinion. Yeah, you know it's a strange week when the president of your university giving a couple million dollars in land to a to a hot muscle stud uh, is not the weirdest story to come out of your town. So um, that's neither here nor there. So we'll focus on the football game. Um, I remember seeing that. Like I had no idea that this was happening, and I think uh, Ross Martin was sitting to my right from inside Carolina, um, uh, connoisseur of all things weird in the world, and tells me uh, about the Hugh Freeze thing, and we were like just transfixed on like there's a he's coaching with like a staff infection and there's a hospital bed like when i first heard hospital bed i thought the hospital bed might be on the sideline which (laughs) holy crap (laughs) like i mean that would be just the greatest moment in sports history but having it in the lock or having it in the press box was pretty darn cool and like the photo of him kind of like laying there with his glasses half on and like what what world are we living in man like it's a college football game take a day off right and like i mean i know it's his first game but a like how do you not trust your assistants enough to just go ahead and do that and then b and this this is what bothered me too like you know he's going to use this with his players to be like yeah the, the, I, you know, I coach through my staff infection from a hospital bed and it's like, yeah, they can't play football from a hospital bed, dude. Like it's a little bit different, but yeah, it's, it's, I don't know. I didn't understand why he didn't just hand off to one of his assistants. I, but I don't know. It, it was completely, you're right. College football is ridiculous. And this was ridiculous too. Well, what else are you going to do on Lynchburg on a Saturday night? An <laughs> excellent well point. So, what do you think is like the most difficult thing, difficult job that you could conceivably do from a hospital bed? Because I started thinking about that. Like, could you like conduct a nuclear strike? I mean, probably because you don't have to be moving to do that. Right. Like what? Uh, I, I don't know. Like what, what other jobs could you conceivably do from a hospital bed that actually might be more difficult than like what he was doing? 
Oh, that's a great question. Um, hmm. I think you, you could do a lot of jobs from a hospital bed. We Technology is truly amazing. As, as we're doing this podcast right now, um, you know, we are not in the same place right now. So that's uh, that 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 handles a lot of things. And video conferencing handles a lot of things, as we saw with uh, with uh, Hugh Freeze giving his team the pregame hype up speech from his bed via video conference and doing a press conference uh, via video. So, um, yeah, I think you could do a nuclear strike. I think that would be pretty simple. Um I, I don't think that you could uh, be a construction foreman. Probably right. that would be tough. Right. Um, maybe maybe if they put you in the in the little construction trailer in your hospital bed, that would work out. Um, hmm, interesting. What what do you, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I think like it's just hard to think of a job that you could because my I I posed this to my husband and he was like do laundry and I was like yeah, but you can't do laundry from a bed like you can't conceivably do that from a bed like and and it's hard to it's hard to think of a job that you could conceivably do from a bed that would be like appreciably more difficult than what he did that's not to say that like he deserves some sort of medal for doing that or anything like he doesn't but it's just more like huh I couldn't think of it off the top of my head of like what would be um Caroline Darney friend of the podcast she suggested a cooking show I liked that one I think because like you could conceivably have a cooking show where you were in bed it would just be very different. Yeah, and I think that would be a really awesome show and I think you know as a whole I think this is an interesting idea of which um, I don't know, maybe it's a Comedy Central series, maybe it's like a travel channel, but we get into uh, what jobs you can do from bed because inevitably uh, people are getting older, um, people are living longer, so this is going to be some important knowledge to have here in the next uh, 30 to 50 years and especially if we're all going to be confined to our homes by global warming. So um, yeah, I, I, I'm into it. Uh, maybe baking a cake, that would be that would be tough. Um, well, uh, I, I wonder if if Hugh Freeze has gotten to to use his phone from the bed, the company phone, though, you know, does he have a company phone now or what, what's the deal? Probably, right? Yeah. So I'm not sure. He could definitely like, I mean, he could do all kinds of things from the phone. That's like, like you said, like it keeps us more connected than ever. So I don't know. Yeah. You, you love to be connected on the company phone with your, your friends, your new friends, your old friends, <laughs> especially the company phone. Of course. Yes, absolutely. On the company phone. Um, all right. We also have to get to another game that had its own elements of humor involved, uh, although I'm sure John Swafford's not laughing particularly hard. Um, Florida State. Uh, I actually, I remember when I saw this line come out, and I think Florida State was favored by like five, and this is when it was supposed to be in Jacksonville, got moved to Tallahassee due to the weather. Uh, we had on Bud Elliott last week to talk about this, and, and he sort of pointed to Boise State starting a freshman quarterback and this game being on the East Coast and everything else as reasons Florida State was probably favored. And early on, that made a lot of sense. And boy, oh boy, did the wheels fall off for Florida State. And like, it, it's it's not fair entirely because Boise State was starting a freshman quarterback, but Boise State is good. Like I ranked them, I ranked them going into the season. I ranked them again this week. They are a good, solid program. It's it's not a shameful thing to lose to Florida State, but it's really just like more the way it happened, right? Oh yeah, because I believe I, I was walking into Bank of America Stadium and I saw on the TV down at the elevator there in the press area, it was thirty-one to thirteen when I, I got in the elevator and I'm like, ah, okay, well Willie Taggart's figured it out. They got rid of uh, the I guess the 
whatever was wrong with last year. I'm not sure if they need to get players out of the program, they need to get coaches out of the program, whatever it was, they gotten it fixed because I, I know that that was some concern of the off seasons that Jimbo had kind of left him a mess. So, all right, things are great in Tallahassee for um, roughly, I don't know, an hour and a half, maybe. But by the time I, I get set, situated and get ready to watch the Carolina game, um, they're losing. And I'm like, wait, are you – what? Are you kidding me? There, there is no way. And, uh, you know, then we started getting angry FSU fan crowd shots, which are not good. And I assume oh. that they just went home and tweeted angry things at Sam Howell and his dad for the rest of the day because, wow, what a disaster. Um, I feel bad because, yeah. you know, Willie Taggart, this is his dream job. And, and he meant it when he um, said it. I, I don't, and I, I don't know what he walked into. I, I, he obviously walked into a situation that was not good. Um, no. Things were not good at the end of the Jimbo Fisher era. They kind, kind of let things fall apart. And, um, you know, maybe Willie Taggart – he's a guy that's he's proven time and again he can rebuild a program so i'm there's really no explanation for what's wrong here because they're still getting talent um willie taggart's proven that he can win uh at this well he hasn't proven he can win at this level but he can prove he's proven that he can build programs to a certain level so it's really inexplicable and for a fan base um there's probably no worse fan base in the world to deal with in this particular situation Ugh, because yeah. uh, they're, they're so passionate and they're so used to winning and um, they're, they want to win now and they have the talent to do it. So um, in terms of being patient with a rebuild job, I, I don't think this is exactly the place for it. Yeah. It, it, it reminds me a little bit of the Justin Fuente situation in that, like, I think they're both good coaches, but for whatever reason, through a combination of what they're worth, they're working with on the roster and maybe some of their own decisions, it's not clicking right now. Um, you know, I mean, I saw Florida state fans talking about the fact that, you know, the defense played kind of passively against a, you know, it sort of let Boise dink and dunk down the field to get in these 10 yard plays. And that's not, you know, that's not the way you want to play. Boise ran like 108 plays, which is absurd. And like, you know, just some stuff they were doing on both sides of the ball and made people scratch their heads a little bit. But yeah, it's, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen with them. It does not help that their social media team appears to be very bad. Um, They've made some uh, very noteworthy mistakes recently, like the Martin Luther King Day thing. Thing where they photoshopped Martin Luther King uh, wearing was it was it it was a Florida it was a Florida State glove right yeah was, the, was they, that, they put yeah. Dr King in in some gloves so I guess he could throw up the Seminole logo or whatever oh. um, you know personally I oh. think uh, Dr King would have been a believer. <laughs> <laughs> No. Oh my God. Let's put a let's forbid that forever, people. Do not do not say that a a notable historic figure who died in a horrible situation would have been a fan of yours or whatever. It's it's it didn't work for Justin Bieber with Anne Frank, and it's it did not work for Florida State with Martin Luther King. So don't do it. Uh, you know, I, I don't know who's teaching these social media classes and I'm an idiot and I'm on Twitter and I've, I've not gotten myself in that much trouble. And I sometimes talk too much and say stupid things, but Jesus Christ, man. <laughs> this is like, and the hashtag last year was do something, which to me brought to mind, you know, like the meme of like the stick man poking, um, the poking something with a stick and just saying, do something, come on, do something. And like all last season, that's all I could think of. And 
anytime they used that hashtag was like poking Florida State, like, hey, Florida State, like do something. <laughs> it was just a very poor choice. And then uh, and now um, I don't know what their hashtag is this year. I forgot like what their slogan is for this year. But <laughs> and I honestly thought this was photoshopped when I saw this yesterday. So I need to share it with you because um, apparently in the Florida State Football Center, there is a television screen that is flashing uh, a sign advertising the next game, which is against Louisiana Monroe. And it says, find a way to beat Louisiana Monroe. I'm not calling that social media, but like that's part of your overall messaging. And why? And also don't like what find a way to beat Louisiana Monroe. Like, where are we right now with Florida State football? Yeah, it's um, it's not good because Louisiana Monroe is like one of the worst programs in the Sun Belt, which is um, not a league that is particularly strong down at the bottom. They got a couple good teams up top. But man, Louisiana Monroe is also one of the poorest programs in the country as far as uh, resources. So that's not good. Um, I don't know. What do you think that their next uh, hashtag is going to be as this thing right. gets further down the road? I feel like they're becoming like increasingly more honest about like what their situation is. So maybe it'll be like... If Willie Taggart gets into the Twitter, he'll be like, hashtag send help. I'm going to go with like a, a hashtag, <laughs> well, we won. Hashtag, <laughs> 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 well, we won. Hashtag, it's something. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> hashtag, five more to a bowl. I mean, I don't, and, like, what are we and, talking you know, about If they here? do go down the route of not being bowl eligible, it's going to go like nihilist Arby's and we're going to end with a hashtag eat at Arby's. <laughs> that would actually be like amazing social media work in a weird way, but they, but they don't know. <laughs> hashtag, we don't know anymore. Maybe. Hashtag, this is does where it matter? The world's next. on fire. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh my gosh it's it's uh it's uh, it's getting dark in 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 tallahassee for sure one thing that brought us all a moment of light and i do want to get you out of here on this um i don't know if you saw this because this came across the wires i think probably about the time i was getting home from charlotte maybe you weren't quite home yet but mark richt um the former miami head coach went on the ACC network and uh, showed us all how to recover, recover a fumble uh, with his sport. Cause like Florida state, by the way, there was a fumble that was bouncing around in that game and no one could quite get to it. But the Florida state guys were leaning over at the waist, which college football coaches will tell you is a no, no, you got to dive on the football or as Mark Richt was showing us, you got to use your spork to scoop and score. Did you see that? I did. Sorry, I had my uh, my thing muted there. <laughs> yes, I did see it, and I loved it. And uh, Mark Ricks, right. you got to say, you know, when you saw him coaching uh, at both Georgia and Miami, you assumed he was like this kind of straight-laced, boring guy that, you know, whatever. And since he's been on ACC Network, I've absolutely just loved him. Um, he's been so awesome since he's been on there. And he gave us a little preview a couple summers ago at ACC kickoff when he explained the 10 bite sandwich, but we, we had no idea how awesome Mark yes. Richt was going to be, especially with this, this fumble recovery demonstration is like maybe Emmy worthy. I would say. He, he ends up in the fetal position, like spooning the football. But yeah, I, I said from the beginning that they need to give, Mark Richt a show where he just like 
diagrams the proper way to do things because that 10 bite sandwich thing if you guys haven't seen it you should google it because it is bananas and it is very specific and like i cannot imagine eating any item of food that way but it made me think about it which was something i never thought i would do and his i feel like his like fumble recovery breakdown was kind of similar in its like level of detail and like hey you hold it this way so that it doesn't do this and then he's like getting mad at the florida state players and like no you got to get on the ground and like yeah i just it was hysteric we need to have a show where he like breaks down how to do things in great detail i'm just trying to think of like something we could have him break down that you know you don't even think about of like how you your technique in doing something and he and he'll teach you how to do it like Hey, how to coach a football game from bed with Mark Ricks. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, just like the ins and outs of how to do that or like how to quarter a chicken. Like, I'm sure he has some elaborate way of doing that that I would never even have thought of. And you're like, huh, interesting. Okay, Mark. Yeah, you you really see the coach in him and uh, just the way that they think about things and the way that good coaches think about things. Because obviously um, – He's one of those guys that you kind of – it sucks for to see him out of the game because he deserves so much better than he ever got in his career with the way things yeah. ended um, at both places. So, um, no, that was super fun, and I, I really enjoy him. So more uh, – whoever from the ACC network is listening to this, more Mark Rick explaining things uh, every week. We need like a, a segment of some sort. Yes. Yes, we we need more of that. And really, it, you know, when the ACC Network first started, I, the, the content was pretty straight laced, which is fine. I get it. You're in the beginning stages. But increasingly, like with the watch party that they had last night for Louisville, Notre Dame, I don't know if you saw any of that. It was pretty entertaining. Uh, you know, the guys throwing cheese balls around and, and just talking football and kind of joking around. I thought that was good. Like more stuff like that, I think, is really more in the spirit of like what the ACC is. And I think that that's what we need more of on the ACC Network. I'm totally here for it. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's a really good mix of the really fun stuff. And then we've seen uh, the, the Coach K documentary was really cool. And uh, I've definitely enjoyed watching the uh, the all in with Clemson football. So, yeah, I think they're they're finding the right mix of, hey, you know, this is not this is not just sports news, um, which is something that I really hate because sports are stupid. And uh, I mean, really, what are, what are we doing here? We're, we're watching teenagers run around and throw balls through hoops and uh, I mean, whatever. It's not serious. We can learn a lot of lessons through sports and it's fun and all. But um, yeah, let, let, let's keep up with the shenanigans like Mark Rick diving on fumbles. Yeah, teenagers uh, throwing footballs around did, did remind me. I forgot to add this little bit of context. Um, when you mentioned Florida State fans being mad at Sam Howell, that is because he decommitted from Florida State to play quarterback and decided to commit to play quarterback at North Carolina. And after seeing the way he played in Game One, I I, I think James Blackman is fine. By the way, I think he's good. So I don't think that's entirely the issue. But they were still angry at him for that. And um, yeah, they were they were still in his mentions a little bit um, about that. Yeah, the, the Menchies are going to be a little bit rough for Sam uh, here, maybe for the next uh, three to seven years, I would say, because obviously uh, he played pretty darn well on Saturday and he's he's got a little confidence about him. He's got a little swagger about his game. I don't think we have seen the, the full package yet. I think he's playing it pretty close to the vest, but I think eventually you're going to see him kind of break out of his shell. And I don't know if he's going to be a guy that, that, that's running his mouth and stuff like that on the field, but I think some teams are not going to like the amount of confidence that he plays with at some point yeah I'm, I'm eager to see that as he develops too because I, I can't quite get a good read on him but I think down the road we will I, I want to get you out of here on this one more thing does Carolina make a bowl 
Yeah, I think they do now. Um, I, I, I kind of had them in the uh, the four to six win range, um, and that did not include this win. So, uh, you know, I, I don't think that they're going to be like by any means a dominant team and they're going to like, you know, go out and like shock the world or anything. But I think they're this may be the win where the one win that they had that they shouldn't have. And I think they're probably going to lose a game or two that they should win. So I mean, that that's just how it's going to go with the team right now. that's still trying to find its identity. And, you know, for as good of feelings as there are in Chapel Hill right now, as there should be, um, people should be really excited. And they are because that Miami game sold out on Saturday night. Uh, they've still got depth issues. They've still got concerns on both lines. Um, but I think the coaches are going to put them in some pretty good positions with their scheme and things like that. So um, I, I think they're a bowl team because uh, it's the Coastal and anything can happen. And what better story in the Coastal than having Carolina make a bowl game this year? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Well, he is Brant Wilkerson New of Heels Maven. Um, if you want to give out where they can find you. Yes, you can find me on Twitter at Brant Heels Maven. Uh, we also have just a kind of standard boring account, which is Heels Maven, where I, I just tweet out uh, the links and stuff like that, which you might prefer because you might not like my commentary. So uh, you can find it there. And then uh, we're at mavensports.io, um, which is where you can find my site and uh, several other local sites. Uh, the, the Duke site is run by Brett uh, by Sean Crest, who you guys know, and Brett Friedlander runs the NC State site. And we're growing pretty quickly. It's a it's a venture with Sports Illustrated, so uh, we're we're getting more of that branding instituted here in the next month or so. So it's a pretty exciting time, and uh, it's been a lot of fun so far. Very cool. Well, I am Lauren Brownlow. Uh, you can find my stuff at WRL Sports Fan I will come to you later this week with. Grace Rayner of The Athletic, who covers Clemson because they have by far the biggest game of the weekend when they get to host Texas A&M in a rematch of a pretty exciting game from last year. So we will see you then. Thanks, Brant. Goodbye. Thanks for having me on.